Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am going to be talking about Teo Maladone and if he fits with SGA, should he be in the starting lineup moving on into the future, as well as talking about Isaiah Roby and what his role has been in these last couple of games. So just kicking things off, I mean, this is probably the second time this entire year, second or third time, we've had our two-day gap in between games, and that leaves time for just one episode where I can kind of freelance and talk about whatever I want. I love these days. Uh, I actually try to get this out at 5 a.m. I'm recording this on um, Sunday. Normally, I just record it like a day before or whatever, but I was not able to do it yesterday, so sorry. Uh, Luckily... This is like the perfect day for a crappy situation like this to come up because this is more one of those timeless podcasts. I think some of the other ones, like the previews and recaps, probably give you like a day or two and then it's on to the next one. This one, this one kind of sticks around. So thank goodness that the time frame lined up here. So I'm really happy about that. Anyways, though, we got a really good story here today with Teo Maladone, and it has a lot to do with SGA. And when we're looking at SGA, number one, the guy's an all-star. I'm going to be talking about that sometime in the next week. But he is truthfully an all-star, and the pairing the at the number two spot, the, you know, the shooting guard next to him, it's been George Hill, and then Maladone has just kind of swooped in here. And I think there's a real competition And when you're looking at a perfect pairing next to SGA, you're looking at somebody who can shoot the ball, who can facilitate, can play on and off the ball. I think Teo Maladone checks all the boxes you need to pair him up with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I'm going to be going into why in today's episode. And I think it all starts with the passing game. Teo's best asset has been passing so far in his career. Since he was playing overseas in France, And, you know, coming over here, it's been all about passing. If you look at his breakdown of his scouting videos, you're not going to see a lot of three-pointers. You're going to see he had limited quantities of numbers from downtown when he was playing in France, but he still shot a good percentage. And they had shooting as a big question mark. One thing they did not have as a question mark was his passing game. And I said, I think he is up in the upper echelon of passers in this 2020 draft class. I had LaMelo Ball, I think I had Killian Hayes or something, and then Teo Maladone rounding out my top three in the class, and I'm still standing true with that. He is very good at passing, and he didn't even need to do that when he was in the starting lineup. He navigates the defenders inside to him because he always looks towards the middle of the floor. He initiates the offense from the top of the key and works his way inside whether it's through a screen or him just trying to drive in that's his bread and butter he works better off of the pick and rolls but he didn't actually have to do that in some of these games that we saw uh this week i'd say in the preseason isaiah roby and him were a perfect duo i had a previous podcast on that a couple months back and it was all about pick and roll he got into the pick and roll he had a two-on-one opportunity between him roby and the big man and he waited till the final second to get his pass off to roby or take his own shot that decision making skill is amazing when going into the pick and roll and he also looks to the corner every time he's driving in he's able to like bump his defender who comes over the screens bumps him out of the play then drives in with those two and two on one matchups, someone needs to help out. And normally it starts with the guys on the corners. And they'll try to help out 
you know, and hell, if Maladon goes up for a shot or a pass, he probably gets screwed over, but he's never looking to shoot every time he's driving in. He's looking at other options. Passing's the number one priority. He does that every time. If he sees an open, sees the open teammate in the corner, he will hit you 10 times out of 10, and that's what I love about Teo Maladon. And he doesn't just do it operating going inside. He does cross-the-court jump passes to other players in the corner. If he sees anybody just being undisciplined outside, you know, defensively, he's going to take advantage of it, and he will find an open player. And just like SGA, his main go-to for the assists have been off the three-pointers. Just as I mentioned, he always is eyeing the corners, but he's also eyeing other spots of the floor. In Friday's game, where he had a career high of 24, he also had three assists, and all three of those assists came from downtown shots. He got an assist off of Al Horford, who was uh, standing at the left wing. He was driving in, saw Al Horford didn't have a man on him. Easy dish out pass to Horford. He's going to knock that down. The second play had Mike Muscala wide open in the right corner. Teo Maladon was kind of positioned to the top of the key to maybe like the right wing area and he had a wide open three however Mike Muscala was also open I'd actually debate Maladone could have just popped it I think he was probably more open than Muscala but he had the confidence in Muscala dishes it over to him catch and shoot really quick release nothing but net right there and the last assist he had in the game was to Hamadou Diallo in the left corner and Teo Maladone was slashing to the inside of the basket, very similar to the first play with Al Horford. You know, they want to risk Hamadou Diallo taking threes. Maladone knows that. I think everybody on the Thunder knows that Diallo pretty much should have a wide open shot. He just gives it to Diallo. There's not a lot of pressure. Diallo knocks it down. So he knows exactly where these spots are to exploit in the defense pretty much at all times when it comes to the passing lanes. And even when there's no just home run pass, he he's able to create them anyways. He loves getting the ball out of his hands and just getting the ball rolling to get opened up lanes. Whether Tim cutting, getting another person cutting, he just wants activity. And he does that through facilitating the basketball. He's averaging 32.4 passes in just 21.2 minutes. That is absolutely ridiculous. George Hill plays like seven more minutes than him. And Hill only has like 0.7 or 0.8 more passes per game than him. That just shows how much Maladon wants to get the ball out of his hands. And the thing that I did was I actually scaled up Maladon's minutes to match SGA. SGA plays 33.6 minutes per game, if you guys did not know. So I juiced up Maladon's numbers to reflect, you know, if he was playing the same amount of minutes as SGA. And he's averaging about the same amount, if you even it out. SGA in his 33.6 minutes has been leading the team with 53.9 passes per game. And that's through him slashing to the basket, trying to find people in the corners, or just in the top of the key, trying to make stuff happen. That's exactly how Maladon operates, and it shows. When you adjust his minutes to 33.6, he's averaging 51.4 passes. The gap there is tiny. 2.5 passes separate SGA from Maladon. And you need to take that from a, like, with a bit of a grain of salt here. I think it's a tad bit cherry picked. And I think y'all probably realize that too. But 
I mean, he's running these second units. So SGA's running things, Maladon's running things. If you were to move Maladon into the starting unit right now, he would not be averaging this much in that amount of time. You know what I mean? The numbers would obviously dip down because SGA is clearly the number one facilitator. But, you know, you're not going to take that trait away from Teo Maladon. He's also looking to pass the ball around, and that's why... You, you guys should love him. He's a great ball handler as well as a facilitator. He gets the offense going just as Shea Gilgis Alexander does. And he's not just a passer. He's also a shooter too. He's shooting 37.7% from downtown this season. And get this, he's leading the team in catch and shoot field goal percentages. He is shooting 48.9% off the catch and shoot on 2.5 attempts per game. The only person who is even close to Maladone is George Hill, actually. And George Hill is averaging 47.5% on catch and shoots on 2.9 attempts. So very similar numbers between a 19-year-old rookie and a 34-year-old guard who led the league in three-point percentage last year. Just think about that. And I know it's early, so numbers may fluctuate, but there's a real there's a real quality here in Maladone when it comes to the catch and shoot. And this these numbers right here just show you how important it is to have a sharpshooter next to SGA at the two spot. He's using the second guard as just a shooter. The number one, you know, trait for these guys along with SGA needs to be shooting the basketball but it also needs to be facilitating. And Teo has shown he is able to do both. Just in the last game, he had four triples off the catch and shoot and two makes off the dribble. So he's not just a one-trick pony when it comes to getting the ball out of his hands off shots. He can do it with nobody around him, just popping it, or he can create the shot on his own. And he was hitting those shots from literally everywhere on the floor. He's not posted up in the corner like you've seen with Darius Baisley or Lou Dort or whoever it may be, right? He's all over the place on offense. He had one three-pointer at the top of the key, four three-pointers made on the wings, and one made three ball in the corner in his previous game. And he even had a shot where he barely had his foot on the line. So that would have made his top of the key numbers up to two and he's getting the assists off of not just SGA SGA had two assists to him in the last game Darius Baisley had two and so did Al Horford so SGA was trying to initiate stuff Darius Baisley was too everyone was just sleeping on Teo Maladone on the Brooklyn Nets they wanted to test him from downtown so they wanted to double the SGAs of the world they wanted to double Darius Baisley when he was driving in that led Maladone to open shot, and he never hesitated, not even once. He showed no sort of hesitation at all in the Brooklyn Nets game, and he really has not all year. He's looked very consistent when he's going up for these shots here. It doesn't matter what the scenario is. As long as he has an opportunity to shoot the ball, he will take it, and his shot looks the exact same every time. He's not phased by people trying to close out on him. He just does what he needs to do to get a good-looking shot off, and sometimes it may be off the mark, but as of late, these shots have been hitting for him in big, big numbers. So you want to see that trend continue to go up. I think pairing him 
in the starting lineup with SGA and Baisley could be a good option to go because you're definitely going to be getting better opportunities off of one of the best passers in the league in SGA and a very good, you know, power forward facilitator in Darius Baisley. I'll take that over getting your passes off of Hamadou Diallo or, I don't know, Isaiah Roby, Mike Muscala, Pokachevsky. You know, they could have good passes, but it's definitely not as consistent as some of these guys in the starting rotation. And we've seen Lou Dort reap the benefits of these guys being able to spot them up for open looks. Teo Maladon can do the exact same thing, and we can also flip the switch here and put SGA in the wide-open catch-and-shoot shoes off of Maladon passes. We saw with Chris Paul, and, you know, I'm really not trying to compare Chris Paul to Maladon because there is definitely a huge gap here. But we saw last season, SGA kind of was assuming the role Maladon had in the Brooklyn game. He just spotted up for threes. At times, he created for himself, and at times, he passed the ball. But the number one option with him was getting the three ball off. He did just that last year, and Maladon has done the same. Maladon can create shots for other players just as SGA did last season, and he's 19 years old. SGA was 21 last year. You know, so there is a there's a difference in age. I don't know. You can give that like a three-year gap or whatever, two, three-year gap. And he's showing traits that SGA had last season. Very, very promising with him, and you do not want to just push him back on the bench. At least I feel like you shouldn't be pushing him back on the bench when you've seen so much success from him. And the only real knock you can make with Teo right now is defense. And his defensive rating when you compare him with the rest of the team, is not amazing. He ranks number eight on the roster. His defensive rating is 108.9. And I think Hill's kind of your benchmark whenever you're trying to compare here. And his is 113 flat. My thing is, I personally am not taking, you know, this stat too much into account for things because they hardly take into smaller stats like deflections into account. You know, I think we can all say that Kenrich Williams has been a very good defender, like a lockdown defender for us off the bench. There's a reason that people have called him Kenny Hustle. He's going for every defensive play, just anything he can do on the, on the defensive end to create offense for the Thunder. But it's not reflecting in the defensive rating whatsoever. Kenrich Williams ranks lower than Maladone does on this list. And Maladone has his moments, but I think it's obvious that Kenrich Williams is probably like a top five defender on our team when it comes to, you know, just being able to throw himself out on the line for extra possessions. It doesn't show that kind of crap on here. And I'm not going to say Maladon is like hustling to the same extent as uh, Williams is because, I mean, let's be real here. Williams is playing like Lou Dort did last year, damn near, whenever it comes to just trying to make every single play um, on defense. But he has shown that he's been legitimate on defense, like a lot. So I think Maladon can be a future defender for us at the two guard. He's a six foot five combo guard who has been playing professionals like for years now. Okay, overseas, he was playing against people older than him. He was still balling out. He can do the exact same thing in the NBA, and he's done it so far in the year. Like, we've not been looking at him complaining about his defense. I don't even remember really complaining about Maladone this year. Every single game, 
I mean, I'm not going to say it was a pleasant surprise in the box score, but he did a solid job in every game. In a lot of games, he actually impressed. So defense has not been something that has been a glaring hole in his game. You throw him into the starting lineup, make him play against some of the league's best, get him to grow there because he has the size and frame to be playing at the two guard legitimately for, you know, long term. I think the main factor that makes you want to put Teo in the starting grouping is just the youth here. SGA is looking to find a long-term fit. We know we want him to be one of our cornerstones in the franchise. He's 22 years old, and we have a lot of draft capital in the next few years. You know, you can say, you can dream about having the Jalen Suggs of the world. You can dream about having the Cade Cunninghams of the world playing next to SGA. And that would be very fun to watch. You know how excited I would be as an Oklahoma State fan? Seeing us get the number one pick and select Kate Cunningham, I would love that. Everyone who watches Thunder Basketball would love that. Getting, you know, a guy who has been playing in the state. I mean, he committed to OSU when there was really no incentive to, other than like a family member getting brought in. But he could have gone to any school. He goes to Oklahoma State, and then we, he gets selected in state to OKC. And look at the roster constructed around that. That's beautiful. I don't want to get caught up in all that because, I mean, I just get too damn excited about it. And I don't want to get my hopes up so, so much. And, you know, we don't end up getting it. But, I mean, that'd be amazing. Same thing goes with Suggs. Perfect pairings. They can do pretty much exactly what Shea Gojus alexander has done for our squad. But, I mean, let's just look at the roster right now. We have a guy who could fit with SGA long-term right now. Maladon is playing great, and he's only 19 years old. Give him a shot and see how he does. And, you know, Mark Dagnalt was asked a lot about Teo after the Brooklyn game and the post game, as well as, um, you know, the practices they had on Saturday. And, you know, he was asked where Maladon kind of goes in the lineup. Like, what position is Maladon? And Mark Dagnalt said, I think Teo is a point guard, but like everything else, if you have the ability to do other things and shooting allows him to play off the ball, it opens up a lot of things for the team. That it does, and if Teo continues to shoot, you you give him the role George Hill has had. George Hill has been a point guard pretty much his entire career. He has kind of just boosted himself up to a shooting guard. He's only like 6'3" six foot four he's been doing a solid job maladon six five kind of has you know that same flair like he's been a point guard for a while he's actually played time at the two while he um was over in europe by the way so he does have experience at both positions if he can shoot he can definitely play at the two so i think that's kind of where mark dagnall is going there he has the traits of a point guard but he kind of can move up to the two position as well and you know he kind of led reporters on at one point because he was asked if Teo would just go right back to the backup point guard spot whenever George Hill returned back from his thumb injury and he said I'm not going to corner ourselves into that so I mean that's a great answer because you're not just going to say yes or no you know how stupid I mean that'd be a pretty stupid answer to be quite honest with you leaving the options open is a main thing that I think it's really just a theme that we have seen this whole entire season. We've seen Isaiah Roby getting thrusted in the starting lineup. 
You guys remember when Justin Jackson was in the starting lineup too? Yeah. I mean, we're doing anything. We're just throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what works. We've seen so many different lineups come in and out of uh, our games this past month. I, I don't remember seeing any any of this stuff going around. I mean, the amount of activity and changes we've had throughout the year has kind of been unparalleled to the years prior whenever we had the Chris Pauls and the Westbrooks and the KDs of the world. We kind of just have a whole unit of interchangeable parts. You plug and play these guys and you see what works. Maladone has worked in the starting lineup. You know, you don't want to just say, you know, we're never bringing him back into the starting lineup or, you know, he's going to stay there forever because, you know, you got George Hill right here too. So leaving the options open is a big deal. But I think ultimately it's a real it's a real question to be had. And I think my personal opinion, I've already said it and I've reiterated it a couple times here, but I think it should be a no-brainer that he's playing next to SGA. I mean, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and Teo Maladone possess very similar play styles with the ball. I think the key factor with Teo this year is if he can establish himself on and off the ball. If he can, you may want to get used to the duo of SGA and Maladone. I think one person whose future has kind of been up in the air, though, um, at least in the past couple games, has been Isaiah Roby. And I'm just going to be talking about that for, you know, a little bit right here. And whenever Al Horford was out of the roster for like six games because of the birth of his child, Isaiah Roby plugged in. And on paper, he did pretty well. He played just a hair over 26 minutes in those six games. And he put up averages of 11.5 points, 6.5 rebounds on 47% shooting. But since Al Horford came back, you know, he's played just 10 and 12 minutes in the last two games. A little bit of an enigma right there, but I'm going to try to just give my take on it. This could be entirely wrong, though. I think it just has to do with the lack of size. And it's been something that has been the question on Roby this entire year. Some games, it's like he's able to make up for it. He has 7-3 wingspan. He's really gritty when it comes to the rebounds. And that's true. But at other times, he ends up getting banged up down low and he's letting bigs get free buckets around the basket. And it's going to be just a shifting topic over and over. I think in the last six games, though, going against the starter, the like starting fives, it was exploited a bit by the end um, of his tenure there uh, going against some of those big men. And he was out-rebounded 68-239 in those six games. And he actually put up a real fight there. Like, you cannot deny that. I think he had a double-double in one of those games. But other games, he was struggling to collect, like, three rebounds. And his opponent was getting, like, 11 rebounds. And Enos Kanter had 23 in one of those games. So, I guess if you throw that out, it changes the numbers a lot there. But I do think it's important to keep that in there. Because Kanter is one of the best rebounders in the league. And it really shows you, you know, what kind of kind of a test Roby is taking on right now when he's playing at the starting five. I think Mark ultimately wanted to throw Al Horford back in there at the starting center. I think that was something that was evident. Like as soon as Horford came back, he was going to be starting again. But Roby did have his moments in those six games when he was in 
the starting unit for the Thunder. I still think that Isaiah Roby's skills are sort of amplified at the center position. And I think taking him down to the power forward spot takes away from his skills. In particular, in the pick and roll and the pick and pop. Because he has been kind of open in the pick and roll a lot of times this year. I think the SGA Roby pick and rolls have been very prevalent. At least when Horford has not been on the floor whenever Roby was starting. We saw a lot of the Roby SGA 1-2 punch in the early goings in the game. And when you're plugging Horford back in there and you want to throw Roby into the four spot, that's not going to work because you're either going to have someone just man down low in the paint and you know, you're going to see Horford getting wide open shots or Horford's going to be down low and everything is going to get all clogged up. The spacing just would not work that well there. I think Roby needs to be at the five, not just only because of spacing, but because the difference in speed and size between the four and five is huge. I think the important part is athleticism and speed because the X factor with Roby has been the speed and athleticism playing at the five position. If you lower him down to power forward, you're leveling the playing field right there. And defensively, you may get some better possessions, but offensively, that's where you really want to get the kick out of Roby. He has defensive moments. He's actually leading our team in defensive rating. It's like 120 um, some odd. But I mean, he, he can get flame there. I think offensively is where you're looking towards in the pick and rolls and the pick and pops. And he killed it in some of the games in the pick and pops. And when he's done that, it's really helped him and the team long term throughout the 48 minutes. But when he has gotten ice cold from there, it really ends up hurting. So I think you could see Dagnall try to put him back in the power for forward role once again. He should be splitting time in the four and five spot just to see how things work out. I think ideally, what you could see is Isaiah Roby taking the four spot in games and Mike Muscala being at the five position. Now, we don't know the status of Maladon, but if Maladon is back in the second unit, I think you could see Maladon and Roby trying to be uh, the spark off the bench alongside Diallo, who, as we all know, kind of has been running the show on the second unit. He's leading the uh, bench in points right now but you get options there with uh, Maladone and Roby if you were to do so and I think Roby he would be shirt up at the power forward spot on defense just comes down to how things would operate lowering him to the four and getting a bigger guy at the five how would defenses defend that I don't know it really has not been tested a lot in this season he's really just been at the five at least as of late Expect to see Roby going back in the four spot and try to, you know, kind of get back into the groove of things going against people with similar sizes. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed listening, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. See ya.